This is Coder Radio, episode 66, for September 9th, 2013. Everyone, you're listening to Coder Radio, Jupiter Broadcasting's weekly talk show taking a pragmatic look at the art and business of software development and related technologies. This episode's brought to you by our two fine sponsors, GoDaddy.com and Ting.com. I'll tell you more about both those sponsors as this show goes on. My name is Chris, and joining us every single week is our excellent host on the East Coast, Mr. Michael Dominic. Hey there, Michael. Kumbaya, my brother. Kumbaya, Mr. Dominic. <laughs> How are you doing today? Uh, you know, I'm feeling very chill. I, I fired Verizon right off the bat this morning, so yeah. that's you know that's kind of par for the course. Yeah. So you uh, you kind of gone through the typical uh, new office uh, process where you hire a telco yep. and then that telco uh, madly disappoints you. So then you fire said telco. <laughs> well, it, it, you know, it was the fact that I couldn't get a dial tone after a week that really just clinched it. Huh? You think they get that? You think they'd have that kind of figured out by now? You know? Yeah, so hmm. that was uh, that was a simple maneuver, but I'm feeling zen today. We have a good um, show, too. You know, I, we have a great show. In fact, I called Mother Gaia, and she <laughs> sent us two wonderful people to talk to. Wow, yeah, that's right. We decided, we decided you know, we, we, we should talk about Docker. And now, do you want to talk to one person about Docker, or would you like to talk to two people about Docker? So we've got Andy and Ben from uh, DotCloud joining us later today, um, and they're going to DotCloud, right? I got that right, yeah. And they're yeah, gonna... we've actually met we we featured dot cloud once as the tool of the week it's um for those who don't know it's kind of a platform as a service thing that i like to use because it supports lazy people like me who just want to get clone right um, and template projects we yeah. have been closet docker lovers um for going on a little while now because a while back on the linux action show uh, I'm I proclaim- sorry, you're in the club. I'm, I'm out and proud. Oh, right. I'm out and proud. I pro- well, right. here's what I did. Here's This is just to set the stage. I proclaimed that Docker will revolutionize cloud hosting and bring Linux to a whole new level in the data center. So <laughs> that was my ex- that was how I sold it. <laughs> so we'll see how that... Wow, so you're like at a parade. You're, I, you're, I was pretty excited. more out there. So uh, maybe okay. those guys can calm me down later today. Or maybe they'll get me more excited. I don't know. You never know. Uh, but so uh, we got. But first, we got an email. Before we get to that, though, I want to thank our first sponsor, since once we jump in the interview, I don't really want to have to interrupt us too much. Uh, and that is GoDaddy.com. And GoDaddy has a great new deal. Now, all right. So, you know, GoDaddy has been GoDaddy's been with uh, the Jupiter Broadcasting Network for a while. Now it's been with uh, Coder Radio for a while. And they have always had some great deals while on the Coder Radio. They premiered on Coder Radio with some fantastic deals. In the history of GoDaddy sponsorship of the Jupiter Broadcasting Network, I have never seen a deal this good. And it goes with a brand new image they've got. And I'm really liking it. Listen, go over to GoDaddy.com or use the link in our show notes and use the code CODER199 when you check out. You're going to get .com. For a dollar ninety nine, you can add additional years for nine dollars and like ninety nine cents. It's a crazy great deal. Coder one ninety nine, Coder one ninety nine, Coder one ninety nine. People, a dot com for a dollar ninety nine. You know what? If you go over there right now, too, uh, you're gonna say that's Van Dam awesome. That's what you're gonna say. That's Van Dam awesome because it's getting kicked up a notch by Mister Jean Claude Van Dam. You're like, oh yeah, I thought Danica was scoring you the great deals, Chris. I'm like, yeah, I she was, but you know what? She's not. 
an 80s action superhero who can kick data centers in the face and make dot coms fall out for a dollar ninety nine coder one ninety nine when you go over to GoDaddy.com, the world's number one domain name registrar. And one of the reasons GoDaddy is on this program, on the Coder Radio Show, is because you guys out there often work with other people, with groups of people. Maybe you work on a project for a little while and then you move on. You have a business where you're setting something up and then you go help another business for like a contract type of thing. GoDaddy makes collaboration in the small business environment super, super easy. You can delegate administration of controls over the different buckets inside the GoDaddy administration control panel. So I can say, Alan Jude, for example, has complete control over the jupitercolony.com domain. So this Saturday, when I was crazy busy working on something, and we needed to repoint the jupitercolony.com domain, I just PM'd Alan at IRC and said, hey man, I'm really busy. Would you mind logging into GoDaddy and doing this for me? Even though it's my .com, it's under my account, and I could take away its access at any time, because I have set it up, my, my sysadmin guy can go out there and set that for me immediately. It's awesome. It's flexible. And now you can get a .com for $1.99 when you use Coder199. So thanks to GoDaddy for sponsoring the Coder Radio program. That's a great deal. Van damn. That's what I say, Mr. Dominic. Um, all right. Well, I thought maybe I'd read us an email before we got to our chat because I know that uh, we got a few emails. I, got, I, st- I put my foot in my mouth last week, and I apologize if I upset anybody. And we got a lot of emails to that effect. I know, I know. Well, you see, it, it, I'm a bad person. Is what the problem is. You understand? I'm a I bad. agree. Yeah, yeah. You're like the Samsung of podcast hosts. Oh God! Wow, wow. You know, there's people in here that like Samsung. Yeah, so you gotta be careful about that kind of <laughs> stuff. It, you know, it it's not my fault. Their logo is similar <laughs> to Verizon's, <laughs> in that they both use English letters. Oh, I thought I thought maybe uh, I thought maybe the issue was is that uh, you just felt like you had to do it from a moral standpoint since uh, it's. Negative in the freedom dimension. It's negative in the freedom dimension. That, that yeah, brother Richard is absolutely right. All right. So uh, our uh, first email and only email this week, although we got a lot, but we got to keep it to a tighter show because Mr. Dominic has to go battle telcos. Danny wrote that's in. A, that's a lie. It's just that they were all mean to Chris and he doesn't want to read them. <laughs> but continue. no, you know that's not true. I love reading emails. It gets me all fired up. This see, I don't sleep, so what I do is I draw my energy from the hate. <laughs> I don't know if you've seen Astro Boy, but I, I have like the red stone in my chest. And uh, oh I, my God. Yeah, okay. Uh, so <clears throat> Danny writes, hey, don't, don't poo poo on Samsung. <laughs> Literally, it's what his email It's almost with. as if I knew what email you were uh, going to read before you read it. It's, it, uh, if it. If it had been for Samsung instead of Canonical presenting the edge, I'd have bought two already. I'm just saying. I believe you uh, stating that Samsung looking for developers was adorable. He's saying Samsung's getting legit, Mr. Dominic, so you need to check yourself before you Samsung wreck yourself, okay? <laughs> okay. On to business. And listening to your discussion on software developers, it really reminds me as to what happened in the electronics technicians industry. From my own experience, I'm 35, as, as I have probably about 15 years of experience, my first jobs were closer to upstream. Back then, there was an expectation that electronics tech could perform board-level and component-level troubleshooting. So, you know, if you're a technician, you, were, you, you could do it all. We were even taught to solder and how to read the schematics and to each what each component on the board did. Now, for the most part, tech level is just straight up board replacement, if not a full swap of the entire machine, and then sending that machine overseas for the board swap level component repairs. I feel that development is trending towards this in the future. I think this particularly because the tool sets are so well made and complete. There are often not many new problems where there's not already footprints in the snow. I'm thinking soon developers will be the carpenters of the computer industry, for the most part, where we won't be many pristine fields to put new footprints on. Having said all of that, a skilled carpenter is still worth his weight in gold, 
but it's the right type of it's the right type for the right job. I think it's going to be the same with devs. So, what do you think is is uh, is this? Can you do you see an analogy between like what's happening in electronics where they're getting kind of locked down? You know, when your iPad's battery dies, you have to just replace the whole device. You don't just swap out the battery, right? If well, you if you would have told yeah. that to 1980s Chris and and Michael, with it, we would have said that's crazy. What, what you know? You just pop in new batteries. It's a little hard for me, right? I've I've never been a hardware guy, really, so I don't. I'll take you know. I'll have to take his word for it that they used to do that kind of stuff. In in terms of, you know, I often make the carpenter or plumber analogy for software developers in a business sense because your business as a contractor is much closer to that than to say a lawyer or an accountant. Uh, but I mean, I got. I guess I don't understand his point. Is he saying that there are different types of developers for different jobs? Yeah, and maybe there's going to be different types of developer right. jobs in the future going forward. It's going to be more like bolt these components together instead of create these components from whole cloth. Right. Well, I mean, that's obviously true. Um, I mean, I think we have that now, right? We have QA engineers, <laughs> maintenance developers. Yep, I was just going to say, that's kind of what it is already. We have kernel developers, and we have app developers. We have web. I mean, it, we could go... We could literally spend an hour just yeah. talking about different types of development. And work. those those dang Docker guys are going to make it even more so. Right? You know what? You know they're they're noobing it down. Yeah, and but in a really like consistent, good, predictable way. But well, we're going to get to that. Right, we're going to get to that. I, I guess I he I guess I'd say he's right, but I'm not sure that that's a bad thing. It it, I mean, it seems to be the natural progression of everything. Like, uh, you know, um, when radios were brand new, it was very common for kids to have kits. You know, build them with their fathers, that kind of right. thing. When cars were new, you know, everybody changed their own oil. No, there wasn't Jiffy Lube. That didn't exist. You know, I mean, and now I, I, I know how to put oil in the car. Well, <laughs> I don't well, know how not, to take it out. Yeah, I don't know how to take it out. <laughs> I mean, the other side of it is, um, you know, these, these APIs, these frameworks we're using are so large now that how would you really can't at least not efficiently do the whole stack. Right, so it would be like I'm just thinking in my own life trying to build a Mac app without using Cocoa. Well, and isn't or this any kind of, other framework? Right. I honestly think this is why we've seen a resurgence in some cases in quote unquote retro platform games and things like that because it is almost more like I can build all of this. Like I, I think of Minecraft and I think of a lot of the right. platformers that are getting popular on Steam because what you're saying makes so much sense to me. Like when you build a full fledged consumer facing app that that has to meet all the demands and expectations of the average user now. That is such a monumental process that you almost can't create the whole thing from whole yeah, cost because it would never make it to market. You would never finish it. But right? to be fair, I mean, on my desk, I'm looking at a Beaglebone Black right now in which I got the Objective-C runtime running on, which, by the way, I'm sure JP loves that. Uh, I love it. You do so, it. So, you so there's definitely places. I mean, maybe a better example, even though I don't do it, is Arduino, right? I mean, how many communities are there of people just developing with Arduino, right down to the metal. Yeah. <clears throat> I don't know. I kind of have hope for all of those Raspberry Pi, smaller hardware right. pieces, because it, it kind of brings it all back again a little bit. Right. And for those who don't know, BeagleBone Black is, it, it's just another board, right? I just like it because it has a beagle on it. Oh, yeah. You got one of those. I forgot about that. You haven't talked about that very much. Yeah. You know, I've just been skunk works with it. Um, just trying different stuff? Trying different stuff. I had a project, but... Uh, actually, after that mail service got shut down, it didn't make sense to do it. Ooh, that's creepy. Yeah, chilling effect is what they call that. Chilling effect. Yeah. Um, so I, yeah, I, I, I totally am right there with you, Mr. Dominic. And I think in yeah. a lot of ways, what that means is you open up the the market <clears throat> for better or for worse. You open up the market to a whole new level of skill sets, right? 
people who don't have to know how to create something from whole cloth. But then what you, I would assume you also do is you then by its very definition, create a market for really top tier developers who, who really have that skill set and who can sort of then demand a premium, who have an, who have a categorical um, differentiator about their skill set. And I think that could actually be good for development too. Well, I think there's, it's more than just a linear skill progression, right? Though, because there's also, you know, you, there, there is certainly a place for the hardcore algorithm guys. Yeah, there's Google. also a place for the exactly <laughs> the NSA for the people who, who uh, for the people who don't do that kind of thing but have something of an eye for UX and design, right? Apple. So, I guess I guess I'd ask the writer to write in again and kind of explain why this would ever be a bad thing. Because it's not like the low-level work is disappearing. Right. It's, it's still there. Right. If anything, we've created all these new jobs. But I think what his argument is, is what actually ends up happening at the end of the day, is in, at least in the case of electronics industry, which he says there is an ease, is an ease what, what he says happens is instead of that new category of work happening here domestically, it happens overseas. So no jobs are created here from it, which is jobs lost here, in, in, at least in the electronics industry. And you see that now. Everything is built... You know, everything's repaired overseas. <clears throat> so I don't know if that's going to hold true for software, but it does kind of seem like that is potentially happening. But Danny, I'd love to, if you have any follow-up thoughts on that, email us back into coderadio at jupiterbroadcasting.com and uh, share your additional thoughts on that. Um, now, we have some hoopla we, we, I know you wanted to cover real quick. Do you want to jump on that before we uh, do our... You know what? Let, let's go ahead and skip the hoopla. Okay. It was just going to be the issues at TechCrunch, but I don't even think that's worth I hadn't covering. caught what happened at all on that, so maybe we'll talk about that in the post show because I didn't. Yeah, I just saw them tweet an apology and I didn't know what it was about. There was they featured some extremely sexist stuff. Oh, for some weird reason. Wow. And there was a, it. It definitely hurt their reputation oh. given given Michael Arrington's yeah. To say the allegations that have frequently been made against him. It's a pattern of behavior, and a lot of uh, particularly we, fema- female journalists have drawn conclusions. Can we that. all agree that we're just going to start ignoring TechCrunch? Yeah, go to okay. GigaOM. Yeah. Yeah. All right, well, then, before we get to our guest this week, I want to thank our second and uh, final sponsor for this week's broadcast, and that is Ting.com. Ting is mobile that makes sense, my mobile service provider, and I have been thrilled because LTE has been lighting up all over the place recently. Now, uh, if you grab a Ting account, you're going to probably see an average monthly bill of around $21. Mine right now is about $12. $12. It's, it's fantastic. I've got the HTC One. I absolutely love it. I'm not locked into any contract. There's no early termination fee. There's no bundling, no ride-along. It's just what you use and any taxes they legally have to charge. And they have a really interesting way of, of going about their their, uh, their billing process. You only pay for what you use. So instead of paying into like a $60, $70, $120 a month plan and maybe only using half the minutes that month, King will just bill you by the – they take the minutes, the text message, and the megabytes – See where you end up at the end of the month, what bucket you fall into, and they'll bill you for that. And in that, they'll include hotspot and tethering, voicemail, picture messaging, three-way calling, caller ID, all of that stuff. It's it's fantastic to be able to just flip on the tethering and not have to worry about, do I have the right to do this? Are they going to catch me? Is there an extra fee associated with it? Do I have to have a special family share plan to do this? None of that. Plus, since my wife handles all the actual bill paying, it's really nice that the Ting website is very easy to navigate. She didn't have to learn a whole new system. It was very straightforward. She jumped right in. It was clear, concise, super easy. Same with my mom. I put my mom on Ting, and she's found it completely, completely easy to manage on her own. And if she ever gets stuck, she can call Ting at one 846 
1-855-846-4389. That's 1-855-846-4389. And if you call between 8 a.m. or 8 p.m. Eastern, that's where Mr. Dominic lives, an actual person answers the phone, like a real person. Listen, people love Ting and your people, so you'll love Ting. I have found it to be exceptionally great service. I love that the LTE is coming online. And in my area, I've got WiMAX 2, which is fantastic. <clears throat> They sell one of the little overdrive devices. If you go onto the Ting website and go to the used category, you can get a Sierra Overdrive Pro for $28. Now, if you go to coderadio.ting.com, they're going to take $25 off your first month of service or a device, whichever. And if you get that discount and you grab the Sierra Overdrive Pro, well, the device itself is only $28. If you've got WiMAX in your area, you have got to get this because then you only pay for what you use. There's a flat $6 a month uh, fee for the line. And then only what you use after that. If it sits in your drawer for a month because you didn't go anywhere, you don't have device guilt. It's great. So go to coderadio.ting.com to take $25 off of your service or your device, whichever you prefer. And I would like to put in a personal recommendation for the HTC One if you're looking for a new Android device. I think you'll be quite pleased. And if you're looking for a portable Wi-Fi hotspot, go check out the Sierra Overdrive Pro at $28. Man, when you take that uh, discount, man, that is that's a great deal. That is a great deal. So thanks to Ting for sponsoring the Coda Radio program. And you guys can find links to the Ting page in our show notes. All right, Mr. Dominic, well, joining us on the Skype line, we have two, yes, two fine individuals from DotCloud. Uh, we have Andy and Ben, and uh, we have to be nice to Ben because Ben is the CEO of DotCloud. Welcome, guys, to the Coda Radio program. Welcome. Thank you for having us. Oh, absolutely. Um, but I think maybe you might have picked up that both uh, Michael and I are big fans of Docker. Could you guys, could we start, just sort of introduce people who maybe are, are not um, current on all of this. Uh, starting, why don't we start with Ben, maybe introduce yourself, and then Andy, introduce yourself and what you guys do. And then if, uh, Ben, maybe you wouldn't give us just a real quick uh, summary of what DocCloud is, what you guys do, and, and what Docker is. Okay, well, I'm uh, Ben Golub. I'm uh, CEO of DocCloud, which is the company behind Docker. And I'm Andy Rothfuss. I'm the developer support manager for the .cloud platform as a service. And I'm also the chief maintainer of the Docker documentation. So I've got a foot in both camps. Well, guys, it's great to have you both. Okay, so who wants to take the what is Docker and how does it relate? Uh, how, does, how does Docker and .cloud sort of exist together? Is it, I know Docker is an open source project, right? But you guys yep. sort of are the, step, the, sh- the shepherds of it, correct? Right. Yes. Yeah. So we um, we were running a platform as a service company, uh, and you know, platform as a service basically makes it easier for developers to get their ideas up and running uh, in production. And uh, the thing that we noticed as we were running this uh, platform as a service company is that you know, developers were even with a great service like ours, were still spending far too much time worrying about uh, whether their code would run in house, whether it would run uh, on different clouds. Um, and so they're worried about, you know, how the code is going to run rather than worrying about creating awesome code. Mm. Uh, and so we took um, a lot of the core technology that we had in running our platform as a service and released it as open source, and that's the Docker project. And Docker really basically lets you, as a developer, take any application uh, and its dependencies and package it up in a lightweight virtual container that will run almost anywhere. It will run on any Linux server, so it can be in-house, it can be at Amazon, it can be at Rackspace, it can be at any other of the sort of cloud providers. And you know that what works on your laptop as a developer will work in test and production, uh, etc. Very good. And uh, Docker is, uh, is um, it's sort of like, uh, it, is, it, is it 
is it insulting to call it containers meet Git? Or how? what would be like a quick way, if somebody's <laughs> familiar with like jails and that concept, yeah. how would you equate Docker in that? I like to think of it as a, a tool that runs three different ways. Um, it's Containers meet Git is nice. I like to think of it as a tarball that's smart enough to run your processes and set up networking to talk to those processes for you. Right, right. Very good. So we're tying into um, con- containers in the operating system. And once you've created that uh, image, that's where that Git-like part comes in, where you can share what you've created, you can share how it's created, or you can create the, share the image itself. All of those are part of the Docker ecosystem. And that, that gives you a true power where you can, you know, like Mr. Dominic could be writing something and he can have a pristine environment that he can, he can publish up to that, to that Docker Git-like service and then he can deploy it on a new machine and have that exact same environment within that, within that Docker container, right? Correct. That's right. It's called the Docker index. And uh, there's a Docker registry where you um, upload your images to. And it's different than some other ways of doing configuration management because you're not recreating the um, packages by re-downloading them to each machine you're installing on. You're just installing one thing that includes all of the packages. They're exactly the same files. It's not a reinstallation. It's, um, it's an image. Very good. Um, now, uh, Mr. Dominic, I, I wanted to get those basics out of the way. I didn't want to uh, you know, take away from any questions you had, though. Right. Well, I would just... Um yeah, I mean, so I've been evaluating Docker for a while now, and it's pretty exciting. Uh, one issue that I know we've talked about on Code Radio before is that I have a lot of Linux servers in the cloud, so to speak, um, particularly Ubuntu servers that are kind of, well, maybe they're on slightly different LTS versions, right? Maybe it d- deployment's a pain, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and Docker, you know, for instance, you, I could have one Docker index, as you guys call it, for, for Java Play and just deploy that. Mm-hmm. Which is great. I mean, it, it sounds silly, but really, you know, when things work on localhost and they don't work on, on the live server, I'm sure every web developer knows that's a huge problem. Right. right. So what Docker lets right. you do is it lets you um, start off with the same root file system. And once you've right. got that image on each one of your machines, then any other changes you make to it, like adding the Java Play stuff, would just be the, the diff compared to that base right. image. It would be pretty small. So right. I, I'm wondering, uh, you know, because I know Docker has, what, a 0.61 or just a 0.6 right now. Mm-hmm. What is the roadmap to 1.0? Because, uh, you know, a lot of people, I think myself included, are really reluctant about deploying non-1.0 projects into production. Yeah, no, it's... Uh, we're on, we have a path to 1.0 that we've laid out on the website. It's actually kind of scary for us, too. We... we, uh, we you know, say right now Docker is not for production use, but we're hearing from right. some of the largest web companies that they're already using us in production. So we need to get get there really quickly. Um, but, you know, in essence, uh, we have a plan between now and the end of October to get to something that, that we feel is, is production ready. And that's really uh, about two things. First of all, uh, it's shrinking the core of the product down sure. so that a lot of the things that people might want to do with Docker uh, uh, can be done as pluggable modules. And uh, the second thing is making sure that Docker really does truly run everywhere, which means that we can make it work on lots of different flavors of Linux, lots of different uh, uh, kernel versions, et cetera. Um, you know, we sort of have this challenge in that we have a really active developer community, so we can't just freeze the code and say, hey, okay, go away for, for two months while we harden it. So we're sort of changing, uh, changing the engines while the plane's in mid-flight. And doing a pretty good job. Yeah. 
Um, so how long have you guys been around now? Because I, I, I thought it was I thought it was a little over a year. Am I am I wrong? Well, uh, Doc Cloud's been around for a couple of years, but Docker just launched uh, at the end of March. Um, wow. So we've uh, yeah, we've been just amazed by the growth. I mean, at at, at this point, you know, we've got sixty thousand downloads. We've got uh, I think our last release we had uh, over a hundred big contributors. Hundred big contributors, um, and there are only eighteen people at the company. So you can figure that most Ooh. of those people are are in the community and. Sort of all of the big projects around us, uh, Chef, Puppet, uh, OpenStack, have uh, integrated Docker. Have you guys had any conversations with like uh, commercial software vendors who are looking at Docker as a strategy for deploying commercial software on Linux and sort of normalizing all the differences between the different Linuxes? Absolutely. Um, so you know, we, we see a lot of big ones, um, some that have spoken publicly. Uh, uh, MemSQL, which is one of these NoSQL database companies, um, has... Uh, used us and is talking about it for precisely that reason. You know, they want to write great code and then let it be deployed at their customer sites. And, you know, you said there's, you of course talked about the problem of having something work on your laptop and then not knowing if it will work right. on the web server. Well, you sort of multiply that by every customer's environment and you have a huge challenge unless you can really make sure that things work consistently. Yeah, I mean, I can definitely right. see the demand for something like that. Hmm. Right, and, and I could say, uh, I've done a few uh, they have a very nice get, getting started page up on their site, and I've done a few of the walkthroughs. It, it's a very nice process. Yeah, we have a new tutorial too, so you can uh, get started without downloading. Yes. Oh, look at that! That's awesome. Look at that. Yeah, it's a live. Oh, uh, that is. So, oh, batch. wow. Oh, this is one of the coolest things I've ever seen. For this is the coolest tutorial I have ever seen. <laughs> cool. That is. Cool. I'm going to put a link to that in the chat room right cool. now. Nice. Wow. Look at that. So, just kind of digging into it, though, what is the kind of relationship with Docker and DocCloud? Is it a straight sponsorship? Uh, well, um, DocCloud uh, developed the, the core technology. So okay. um, you know, right now we're the core maintainers of the project um, and work on a lot of the core modules. But we're really trying to make this a true open project. So we've got open design philosophy uh, where we involve the entire community in our roadmap. And anybody within DocCloud who works on uh, Docker has to follow the exact same procedures as any member of the community. So okay. we put about three-quarters of our resources towards it, though. It's, it's really the wow. most exciting we've got going on right now. And That's- this is a Linux-specific technology, correct? You're using right. components within the Linux kernel, so uh, this is not like something that could be ported to Windows or Mac OS X or BSD? Um, right now, that's correct. Um, a lot of the stuff that we're using is a small jump away from things that you might find in Solaris or a few other um, Unix variations. Right. It's a bigger jump to things like Windows. Um, but, uh, but I started doing some light research onto that, and they have some hooks that someday uh, I could imagine becoming Docker-like. Um, you need the ability to do um, copy-on-write file systems. You need process isolation you need uh, network configuration, and I think pretty much any modern operating system has all of those things. So someday a Docker file might need the intelligence in it to figure out uh, not only um, what networking it needs, but what operating system it's actually running on and what CPU it's running on. But right now it's all Linux x86, um, and it will be for quite a while. The rest of that stuff's pipe dreams, but hmm. not impossible. Hmm. Now, one thing that I think was pretty interesting when I started digging into Docker, and our chat room just caught it too, is... With, with the release of Docker uh, 1.0, we'll be able to go pretty quickly to support uh, things like uh, Solaris Zones or BSD Jails, oh. for those of your users Ooh. who are familiar with so that. that, that but even that today, you can my... run Docker as a virtual machine 
on top of a, a Windows box or on okay. top of a, yeah. a, a you know a Mac laptop. Yeah, and a lot of those virtual machines, especially with VirtualBox, are practically invisible. You can start them up from a command line. There's no GUI going there, so you're just talking to it like. Oh, I think they got a little. Oh, do we get a little Skype drop? Hmm. Well, that sounds interesting because uh, I think uh, the BSD jails thing would probably be a pretty quick. Yeah, and that's uh, a pretty common thing, actually, in the community. People seem to be comparing Docker to Jails and JSD. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's a good comparison. Um, the yeah. idea is similar on the file system side. The next thing is to get the process isolation. So let me, let me ask you this. I tend to work on a lot of different uh, stacks, right? So I do a, a bit of Java play, a bit of Rails, a bit of basically whatever. Mm-hmm. Would I need to have a different Docker index for each of those platforms? No, there's a there's a there's actually two Docker uh, two ways to use a Docker index. We have a public index, which of course we encourage yeah. everybody to use, mm. uh, where uh, everybody's containerized things can go. So you can you don't even have to start uh, from scratch. You can you know if you need to pull down a great uh, you know uh, Django in a container or Ubuntu in a container, you can do that. Uh, we also have the ability for you to set up your own private index. But the index basically just cares about containers. Um, and so no matter what's on the inside of the container, every container sort of looks the same to the index and looks the same to the server. When you're running in multiple languages like you were talking about, right. you might create a different image and upload that to a different um, repository in the index. Um, so it depends on um, how you're planning on using them. Will they be all one monolithic stack talking to each other on the same machine, or do you want to run them across a bunch of different machines Ruby over here and Java over there. Um, depending on how you do it is how you'd set up your uh, images and your repositories. So now this may be way off base, but I've been using .cloud for a while. And on, on your GitHub, you have, you know, for instance, you have a, a Rails quick start that you can clone from Git, right? I think it um, has some settings done and is a Rails project configured with, I think, MySQL. Okay. So those are running in two different services. Um, okay. The Docker equivalent would be to make a MySQL repository with an image for running MySQL and a Rails repository for running Rails. And uh, then you'd um, okay. set environment variables in each one of those so that they know um, where the other one is. I guess it's more important that the Rails one knows where the MySQL the one MySQL is. MySQL one it would be, yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Okay. So it, are there any plans for... You know, DocCloud has a very nice GUI. You kind of go through it. For most of the common stacks, you guys do have those quick start uh, repos you can use. Are there any plans to just be able to fire off a Docker, um, however you want to say it, just like a, a Docker instance up to DocCloud as part up of the Up to um, I don't think anything like that's going to happen before 1.0. Okay. Um, okay. After 1.0, uh, we get to see how the community wants to use uh, containers. Um, and, and what the platform as a service uh, works best as. Right. I mean, what I, what I would say is that, you know, with, with DotCloud and, and most passes, you're, you've got a set of languages uh, that you can choose from and you have, you know, a uh, infrastructure that you can deploy on. With Docker, right. you, know, you can package anything in it and you can deploy it anywhere. So we already have some really nice ways for you to, uh, with very little effort, deploy Docker uh, you know, on our infrastructure, on uh, DigitalOcean, Rackspace, yeah, Digi- AWS, you name it, or your own servers. Yeah, DigitalOcean's got it down to a one-click install. It's kind of mm-hmm. awesome. Nice. Hmm. Okay, can I shift gears? Is that okay? I had a I had a question that came up in the chat room, and uh, I, it was one of the things that I noticed when I was digging into Docker too. 
Um, you guys are using Go. To, you guys are writing this in Go, correct? Correct. correct. It's, it's, if you look at uh, GitHub, it's regularly one of the uh, top um, top most active Go. Well, that was what I, that was my next question. Is I I now this is my own ignorance here, but I'm not familiar with a lot of big Go projects like this, and um, I'm wondering a are you guys kind of the lone ranger out there with this? And B, how has that been and why go? Yeah, so I'll, I'll, I'll answer the, uh, you know, the, the why go. Um, so dot .cloud, our sort of original PaaS, was, was written in Python. Uh, and when we did uh, Docker, we wanted to force ourselves to really write it from the ground up and make sure that we you know, wrote it for an environment where there's a lot more going on that isn't under our control. So that was part of the reason to go to Go. Part of it was we, we loved Go and we knew that uh, there were a lot of developers out there who were excited about Go, so we wanted a vibrant community, and we wanted to do it in a in a language that would really excite the community. And so far, that that's worked really well for us. Um, and uh, we're not alone. There are lots of other great projects out there using Go, but as Andy said, mm-hmm. we're one of the largest. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, um, it's it was a point of interest, and I don't um, I don't really know of many others, but I, I I hear so many good things about it from our community specifically. It seems to be a popular topic, so I I, I grabbed onto that and I thought oh, that's kind of interesting. I, I wanted to ask you guys now. I I wondered. I want to switch back to um, deploying because I'm I'm my my background is in system administration, and I'm just recently thinking about setting up an email server. Is services like? Do you see a future in Docker where people run things like maybe an IMAP server in there, or they run their Apache instance inside a Docker container? And maybe this I, is I how I'd be surprised if there weren't images for that already. Right. Yeah. Actually, I'm not sure if you're familiar with Mailgun. Uh, this was a mail service that was purchased by Rackspace, but yeah, they yeah. they talk pretty pretty openly about how they're using Docker in their environment. Very interesting. So they run the mail server instances inside a Docker container. Uh, I haven't seen what they said publicly. Okay. So, okay. Yeah. Oh, okay. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> All right. I don't want to get you in trouble. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Oh, come on. Leaks, leaks are great. I, I was just thinking like, you know, from a change management standpoint, from an enterprise standpoint, there is huge potential here for, um, um, you know, change management rollback if something goes wrong and there's verification. Okay. You know, IT certifies that this configuration is secure and ready to deploy. Now let's push this out to all of the systems. And, um, I think there's for me. I, I look at the potential for people taking Docker and and not necessarily using it just for development, but for using it to resell cloud services, and using it to resell infrastructure. It, 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 I don't know. Maybe I'm going way off base here, but it seems like for a certain type of work case, it could eliminate a lot of the people out there that are using virtualization on Linux right now. And if you eliminate virtualization, you remove a huge amount of overhead. You get a lot more performance out of the iron. And you could, like, as Rackspace's case, you could have potentially hundreds of more customers on a rig. So when you guys are writing Docker and you guys are working on Docker, what, what is pulling you? What, is, it, is it the server-side hosting thing? Is that really what's driving this? Is, is that aspect of it? Yeah, well, we sort of like the, you know, we're interested in the entire chain from the developer all the way through test, QA, and to production. And, okay. you know, we share your view that, that, virtualization is really overkill, or traditional sort of VMs are really overkill. I mean, there's no reason to take an application written that, you know, that measured in megabytes and package it up with a, you know, an operating system that's measured in gigabytes um, and, that only, and that has to run you know, only in certain environments. Mm-hmm. So we try and you know, isolate things in the, in the smallest possible or the lightest weight possible container. Um, and that's great for developers, but it's also great for things that need to scale to massive levels in, uh, in production. I understand that absolutely. I, I look at this as I, I, I kind of want to throw it up on my uh, 
on my home server here and, and just start playing with it for, for little things. Because like Michael was saying, I have a mix of um, different Ubuntu servers that are not even long-term support. And <laughs> it, it seems uh, like I just completely, I could completely normalize those problems by th- throwing something in a Docker container. And I'd love to have this even with like desktop applications. I would love to have Chrome in a dock, in a Docker container. So let me ask you the, the $40 million question here. How dangerous do you feel it would be to start using this today in production? I mean, I know you said a lot of companies already are. Um, Danger-wise, the danger is keeping up with the changing APIs and the interfaces. Right. It's not. It's not that things are broken or unstable. In a in a, they break on you as they're running. What what they break on is uh, Doc Cloud and the community just pushed a brand new version of Docker, and this API changed radically, and this cool tool that you made to make your deployments. Better suddenly doesn't work anymore. So Docker is sitting on top of the Linux kernel technologies, right? And those are those are pretty sound. So that the the kernel level stuff is solid, correct? Exactly. Yeah, Yeah. the kernel level is solid, and and the um, the way we send the image around is very solid. It's based on tar. So when I was saying it was the tar ball that knows how to run your processes, I, I wasn't metaphorically speaking. That's what it is. Quite literally, there's like a description file in the tar that says do these things or. It's, it, that's, that's, you can think of it that way. There's metadata in there. You can see it um, when you're working with Docker containers um, up in uh, var lib Docker. You'll start seeing subdirectories where the containers are, and inside of those there's a config file, and it shows what the um, networking interfaces should be and how much memory it should get and how much CPU weight it should get and all those things that you configure via Docker. Okay. That, uh, yeah. Yeah. Go ahead. Yeah, this is really exciting. This will solve a lot of problems for me, particularly. Um, so if I had to give actual advice on somebody to whether right. they should use it in production right now, I would say no, um, because that's I come from a support background. Oh, and, right. Uh, sure. right. <laughs> but, but the bridge to going to production is available right now, which is you can do a Docker export. So, um, so you could use Docker containers all the way from development through testing and then when you finally take it to your production server, do a Docker export and take that tarball and put it on the server, and it acts like a whole file system. Um, and uh, that way, you're not using any of the Docker APIs in production. Then when Docker goes to 1.0, you take the chain all the way through to your production system, and you can build solid tools around it and know that uh, the interfaces aren't going to be changing. Hmm. Yeah, in my, uh, in my experiment with it, I had a use case where I had a quote-unquote Arch Linux server. And then I needed to deploy an Ubuntu-compatible application. So I used Docker to create an Ubuntu environment on the Arch Linux machine. And it, it really was pretty, pretty incredible because it, within, a f- within just a, a few keystrokes, I had an entire Ubuntu environment living inside my file system. And I, I installed applications, and it was really great. And I, 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 I love the inter- integration you guys have with the index. How... How does that work? Can I have my own Docker index for my com- for my company? Could my enterprise have a Docker index server? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So we have open source uh, open source the index as well. So if you want to run an index, uh, you can. And uh, within the next few months, here we'll also offer a private hosted index as well. There you go, Mr. Dominic. You could uh, just throw all your stuff up on your own private index. Yes, private. Good. Good. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so I would just just to kind of wrap up. What would you say is the and could either be two different things from each of you or just one unified thing, is the most important message you would like to get across to developers who are either unsure of what Docker is. Because to be honest, we've been getting emails about Docker for a while now, uh, but there's a lot of confusion. 
fact, I seems like I was a little confused myself. Yeah, I mean, maybe maybe two things. First of all, you want to learn about Docker? We've got a great interactive tutorial. Go do it, and you'll you'll get it in a couple of minutes. Um, okay. Um, but I think the the thing to keep in mind with Docker is it's really trying to um, free up developers to do what they want to do, which is you know write their application and then build it once and run it anywhere. And then for the sysadmins, sort of the the opposite. They get to configure once and then run anything. Mm-hmm. I like that. Yeah, that's great. And that, you know, literally means like I could sit here and I, and I could build something on, you know, Michael's talking about development, but I could build up a server environment on my Arch laptop and then I could upload it to an Amazon EC2 instance and yep. I would get the same exact results. Yes. That's, that is so incredibly powerful. It, you've almost, in a way, made Linux like this portable, like, you know, it's, it's like a portable application almost, the entire environment. It's part of just the application's dependencies and it just goes with it. Exactly. Wow. Well, guys, uh, pretty impressive stuff. So um, what, what, what are the main websites you want to hand out? I know you've got uh, docker.io. That's probably a good one, right? That's the primary starting place. From there, you can find the docs. You can find the community um, hooks. We've got very active IRC channels for development. And um, we do pay a lot of attention to the GitHub repo issues that are filed. So pull it down, try it out, let us know what you want fixed, talk to us on IRC, file any issues, and Grab issues to work on yourself. It's a great way to start working on practical things and go. Right on, guys. Well, uh, keep up the great work, and maybe we'll talk again in the future. I'm going to be, uh, I know both of us will be watching where it goes because it's really awesome. It's really exciting. So thanks for joining us. Yeah. Thanks. All right, guys. Have a great rest of your day. Bye. Thank you very much. You bet. There goes Andy and Ben from uh, Dot Cloud working on the Docker project. A couple of great guys. And uh, uh, I'm, as an old sysadmin guy, I'm pretty excited to see this. Virtualization was great, but. uh, this is this is going to take it to a whole new level. What do you think, Mr. Dominic? I'm really excited. I did the tutorial earlier this week and kind of was running through it. It is a probably going to become a, a normal tool for my tool chain. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I I uh, I was I'm quite serious. I might deploy an email yeah. server here at my house inside a Docker container. Um, well, you know, I've been moving. Um, and we didn't cover it, but Rackspace is doing the free hosting for developers. But traditionally, I just have a Dell server in my uh, office or house, depending on what month it is, <laughs> yeah. where I'm just deploying, you know, I'm trying something crazy, right? Like when I was first trying Java Play, I was deploying it right to my local server. Right. Right. Now you don't have to worry about messing up your system. Yeah, and, that, and that's, I don't, you don't really need a Skunk Works system laying around. Right. It, like uh, I have trashed many a systems trying out things for the Linux Action Show, and now oh, I, you yes. know, I and I sometimes I do it in virtualization, but a lot of times I don't. And Docker kind of solves that because I don't have to worry about the penalty of virtualization overhead right. and all of that. Um, before we run today, I just wanted to give a quick plug while we're talking about code and update and stuff. And hardy, 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 uh, we pushed out updates to the Jupyter Broadcasting affiliate extensions. Um, so uh, at the bottom of our website. We have uh, we have links to uh, click on before you shop over at Amazon and Newegg and Netflix and ThinkGeek and Best Buy. We also have uh, oh and Code School. We also have Chrome and Firefox extensions. If you install those in your browser, it'll automatically tag your shopping session, so you don't have to pre-click those links. It also has more sites. We just added Woot.com, uh, which is a popular request, and uh, Monoprice is in there. We've added memory optimizations on Firefox and improved integration on the newer versions of Firefox. But the big thing we did, and this is, it's sort of a double-edged sword. We needed to kind of change the extension to be a little more polite. Uh, so that way, if you clicked an affiliate link on a site manually, it, ours would not override it. It would say, oh, they're intentionally tagging this. I'm going to let that happen. 
that changes the way it looks at URLs, so that means it has to reprompt you to authorize to use it. At least on Chrome, I haven't tried Firefox yet, but in Chrome, the, the plugin is disabled as of right now nice. until you re-enable it. Yeah, which for us sort of comes at a bad time because while Scale Engine is awesome and gives us an amazing deal, uh, we had a record-breaking month last night, bandwidth-wise. Uh, last month, it was we smashed all records. And so it really kind of sucks that this affiliate extension is being disabled right at that time. <laughs> because while that's really good news, it also means our costs have gone. It was an unbelievable jump. Um, but I'm very excited about it. But at the same time, it, it's anyways. So if you would make sure, go into Chrome and make sure that the uh, affiliate extension is turned on, I would appreciate that. And if you don't have it yet, you can find it at the bottom of the Jupyter Broadcasting website. And the Firefox and Chrome one both were just resubmitted with uh, some nice updates. And those also are available on GitHub if you want to take a look at the code. Uh, all right, Mr. Dominic, anything else we want to cover before we get out of here? No, that's it. I have the Comcast man waiting at my office for some reason an hour early. So. Well, isn't that great? I know. Well, at least you're going to have internet. Okay, well, then we'll just leave it at this. Uh, if you'd like to get a hold of us, there's a few ways you can do it. You can start a thread in our subreddit over at coderadio.reddit.com, or you can send us an email, coderadiojupiterbroadcasting.com, or probably even easier, just pop that contact link at the top of our website, and then choose Coder Radio from the dropdown. Mr. Dominic, where can people follow you throughout the week? They can find me at DominicM.com. Nice. We'll have links to that, our social profiles, as well as some of the things we covered in today's episode in the show notes. Go over to JupiterBroadcasting.com, look for Coda Radio 66, click that, and you'll see the notes as well as RSS feeds, where you can subscribe and get the show weekly. And don't forget to join us live Mondays, 9 a.m. Eastern, noon, wait, 9 a.m. Pacific, noon Eastern, over at JBLive.tv and JBLive.info. All right, everyone. Well, thanks so much for tuning in this week's episode of Coda Radio. See you right back here next week. <laughs>